Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Censored, the podcast where we never say no to a bit of smut. I'm Aoife Vrithnach a historian maxing out her library card with books that were once too rude to read. If you like the show, you can support me by rating and reviewing it wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can follow the links in the show notes to my merch store and Patreon page. Thanks to Joe Maloney, my latest patron, for signing up. This time, I'm turning away from fiction to look at a factual, non-fiction little booklet. Its full title is and it's long, Family Planning, A Guide for Parents and Prospective Parents. It was prepared by the Medical Committee of the Irish Family Planning Association, or IFPA for short. In November 1976, the censorship board banned it as indecent or obscene, which was surprising because it had been in the market for a number of years. It had been revised a few times, and the 1976 version was merely the latest edition. Unfortunately, libraries don't have the banned 76 version, but in 1974, this little booklet had a nice picture on the front cover. It showed a happy family strolling in the park, mum, dad and two children. If you were looking for salacious reading, this would not draw your eye. Nothing, I mean nothing about it, said Smut. It was quite strange that the censors didn't ban it for promoting unnatural methods of contraception, since that's what it was all about. When the censors made their move, the IFPA responded in an unusual way. They decided to challenge the constitutionality of the ban. This was interesting because they could have appealed the ban through the censorship mechanisms. Publishers and authors could write to the Censorship Appeals Board and ask that they look again at their publication. But that was very private and extremely slow. So challenging the censors in open court, questioning the validity of their prohibition order, was pretty radical. I think it's the first time the censorship was ever tested against the Constitution. Now, the mad thing about the Irish Constitution is that Article 6 actually insists on the legal regulation of indecent matter, You could say the state had to have censorship, but the IFPA still challenged the ban, which was a pretty brave choice. I just think the story of the court case and its aftermath is so interesting. So I invited Dr. Laura Kelly from the University of Strathclyde, Glasgow, to tell me all about it. Laura is researching contraception in modern Ireland 
with the help of a Wellcome Trust Fellowship. If anyone knows about birth control in an Irish context, it's her. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Aoife. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. I think this is a great story of censorship, sex and information. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's quite quite a, a ride, really, isn't it? <laughs> so... In every sense of the word. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So one of the things that surprised me, I suppose, and that might be news to a lot of people, is that there's something called the Irish Family Planning Association. While family planning products are technically illegal and while the censor is banning information. So how does this group even exist in a society with such strong legal prohibitions? Yeah, so as you probably know, Aoife, contraception was banned in Ireland in 1935. So yeah, it is really surprising that this group even exists. Um, but it basically emerged um, in the late 1960s. Um, so there was a family planning study group um, founded by Dr. James Lochran, who was a GP in Scaries. And he felt there was a need to kind of set up this group to discuss the issue because he really felt there was a need for family planning in Ireland. Um, so the group started having these regular meetings in Boswell's Hotel in Dublin. Um, and there was like, it's just a small group of eight people. So there was Lochran, um, Dr. Michael Solomons, Dr. Joan Wilson, um, Yvonne Pym, who was a social worker, uh, Dr. Robert Towers, Dr. Dermot Hurahan and Moira Malarney. Um, and they also had a moral theologian as part of the group as well, who was kind of giving advice on the spiritual side of the, the debate. Um, and Lochran and Joan Wilson um, were really motivated to become involved um, in this group as a result of their experiences in general practice in Ireland. Um, so they had a lot of patients coming to them asking for advice about contraception. And because of the law at the time, they, you know, they couldn't really give them adequate advice or, or support them um, with that. Um, then Yvonne Pym, um, she, as I said, was a social worker and she was really motivated to get involved because um, of her experiences trying to get contraception for herself. So she was having to import it from the UK. Um, and also in her role as a social worker at the Rotunda, she could kind of see, you know, the impact that um, the law was having on families in Dublin at the time as well. Um, and then other members of the group were kind of coming at it from their own personal experience as well. Um, so Dermot Horan, um, he was a pathologist, um, but he'd been involved with the Catholic Marriage Advisory Service um, in England. And he was really disillusioned with the Catholic approved method, which was the rhythm method, um, which he felt was really unreliable. Um, and then Moira Malarney, who was another founder, founding member, um, she was a really interesting um, person. She was a qualified physiotherapist and a nurse. Um, as well as a theologian and mother of 11 children. And she'd, you know, yeah, she had found, you know, that she'd been trying to abide by Catholic teaching and using the rhythm method and the temperature method and just really struggling with these. So she had like 11 children in 16 years. So it obviously wasn't working for her. So, yeah, so that that's kind of where they were all coming from. Um, and then Michael Solomons, um, who was another member of the group, he had a contact in the International Planned Parenthood Federation. Um, this was a big international group that was really promoting contraception internationally. Um, and he got in touch with them about getting funding to set up a clinic in Dublin. So that was kind of where the money came from uh, for the IFPA. 
Um, so they secured a premises then in Marion Square um, and set up what was called originally the Fertility Guidance Company. Um, so they called it that because obviously <laughs> it's family planning was very controversial at the time. And then fertility guidance kind of was chosen just to avoid any sort of opposition um, and also to kind of show that they were concerned not just in advising on infertility, but also fertility and, you know, problems with with uh, family planning and marriage as well. So that was kind of how they framed themselves. Um, yeah. And so then they, they just start holding clinics basically in Marion Square and word kind of gradually spreads by mouth. Um, and then they basically got around the law by um, importing contraception um, using contraceptive couriers. So Yvonne Pym, for example, she would go over to England on business with her husband and she would bring back contraception back to, to Ireland that way. So really quite, you know, people were taking serious personal risks like being involved in this group um, at the time. Um, and they also had some sympathetic doctors who were based in Northern Ireland um, who would, you know, they would uh, go up and meet them over the border and then bring supplies back as well. So that's kind of how they got the supplies. Um, and then basically after that, after the IFPA is founded, uh, so they changed their name to IFPA in 1973, I think. And then after that, they've, you know, there's other um, family planning clinics set up all around the, the country then. So you've got uh, family planning services in Dublin in 1972. Then you've got the Cork family planning clinic in 74 and then others in Limerick and Galway uh, later in the 1970s as well. So really kind of sparks a movement of family planning clinics across Ireland as well. Um and then obviously part of their remit, they weren't just supplying um, contraception to people, um, but information and education was also a really important part of their remit. So that's where the, the booklet um, comes from. Um, and it's also important to note as well that, um, you know, they got around the law because they were asking patients for donations for the contraception as well. So they weren't actually selling contraception technically, but <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of a legal loophole in, in that way. Yeah, it's like the way in with the banned books. As long as you're not selling them, you can get away with having them, but you can't sell them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting phase then. It's kind of like, it's still illegal, but the state is not really exercising its full powers. It's kind of ignoring the situation, would you say? Yeah, exactly. I think the state were really turning a blind eye to it. And I think, you know, a lot of the family planning clinics, um, they almost kind of wanted to be arrested or for some sort of prosecution, because I think it would really kind of help their cause and highlight how ridiculous um, the situation was. But yeah, it didn't didn't really happen. Um, and yeah, as I said, the state just sort of kind of ignored the issue until much later in the 70s when they finally had to actually do something about it legally. This book then, this little family planning for uh, parents and prospective parents, which I think I love it the way it situates it within marriage, really. This isn't for, you know, shagging around. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is good family planning. It is banned. And this, I think, is one of the occasions when part of the state wouldn't turn a blind eye anymore. And it decided to take the risk and stick it on the banned list. But oddly, it wasn't banned for birth control, which they were able to do under the legislation, but they decided that it was indecent or obscene. Why do you think they went for that one? Do you think it can be classed as rude? 
Oh, it's, I mean, I guess by our standards, it's, <laughs> it's really, really not, um, uh, you know, and it, it, it does seem a bit bizarre, I guess, that it was um, classed as obscene and indecent rather than because it was advocating um, the use of contraception. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really strange because if you actually look at the content of the book, um, it's it's quite conservative, really. I mean, it's kind of split up into two main sections, like the first section is looking at like effective family planning methods. And again, they use the term family planning throughout rather than contraception. Contraception. Occasionally they will use contraception, but for the most part, they say family planning. So as you said, really situating it in the kind of the realm of the family and they use the term, you know, husband and wife as well. So it's it's not aimed at single people at all. Um, so yeah, the first section is kind of looking at um, the pill, the IUD, um, the diaphragm, and then the second section is looking at like what they call less effective family planning methods. So things like the rhythm method, um, foams and jellies, uh, withdrawal, and then complete abstinence. Um, so the actual content is pretty conservative and straightforward. It's just giving you basic advice about these different types of methods and the kind of pros and cons of each of them. Um, but the reason I think why it was picked up by the censorship board um, was because of the colour diagrams um, that were used in later editions of the booklet. Um, and the reason, like if you look at the older versions of the booklet, they don't have any diagrams at all. And it was felt by the IFPA that this made the book a little bit too wordy and that it was really necessary to have, you know, some diagrams to explain the different methods and to explain you know, the male and female anatomy to people. Because um, bear in mind, in Ireland at that time, you know, there was very little um, in the way of sex education at all. So people didn't know really very little about this. Um, so I think they included these diagrams relating to the reproductive system um, just to make it easier for individuals to follow along um, when they were reading it. But I think that's the kind of thing that the censorship board really got them on was was the diagrams rather than the content. That makes a lot of sense because they are banning anything where people are talking about sex ed in a general sense, even if they don't include contraception. So how the body works is also bannable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So any kind of information that allows people to take ownership over their reproductive health um, was, was being banned. Yeah. And the diagrams are really quite important if you're talking about where to put jellies and where the IUD might go. It doesn't really make a lot of sense conceptually to leave them out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely need that. And I think if you're you're reading it, it's it's a lot harder to make sense of, of this. So, yeah, definitely. I think they, the diagrams are really, really essential to the booklet, I think. And they're quite simple diagrams. They're not, you know, lascivious in any way. I mean, they are anatomical after all. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, by today's standard would, would seem very, very conservative, you know, things you would probably see in a, you know, leaving cert biology book. So, yeah, that's not not very controversial by today's standards, I don't think. And was this particular booklet, do you, do you think it was distinct from the sort of booklets produced for British or American audiences? Was it very specifically aimed and packaged for the Irish market? Yeah, I think it was. So, I mean, obviously, as we were saying, you know, it, it frames contraception as family planning. So that's really important as well. And family planning is, you know, talked about in terms of the married couple and the husband and the wife. And later editions did 
change that language a bit, you know, when they talked about partners rather than husband and wife specifically. But yeah, so in that way, it, it's definitely quite Irish. Um, and then also, I think compared to Britain and, and the United States, um, the authors of this book um, were really dealing with the situation where contraception was not legally available. Um, so that obviously you know, had an impact on on the kind of content that they were providing. Um, so for a lot of people in Ireland at the time, um, because there wasn't legal access to contraception, people were having to rely on natural methods of family planning. Um, so this booklet does go into quite a lot of detail about natural methods, um, such as the rhythm method and the withdrawal method, method um, just to talk about kind of how they're really unreliable, you know, and trying to educate people about that. Um, however, you know, compared to what had come before in Ireland um, in relation to sex education booklets, um, this one, it is very progressive, I think, for its time. Um, and there was more of an emphasis in this booklet about how family planning was really important for the happiness of the married couple and, you know, their relationship. Um, and, you know, at the time of this booklet um, in the 1970s, um, a lot of the information advocated um, natural methods. So this one, you know, is, is quite distinctive in that way in that it is talking about artificial methods. Um, so other ones that kind of come before it, um, you see publications by the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council in London, and they published a lot of booklets about kind of natural methods. Um, and you could get those in Dublin in the late 60s. Um, and then Michael Solomon's also published a book called Life Cycle um, in 1963. And again, this book was quite um I guess quite conservative as well it focused on things like um conception labor um adolescence and menopause so it didn't really contain a lot of information specifically about um family planning and contraception um so I think this booklet was the first really to address artificial methods of contraception and also to explain to people where they could go and get these because it was very hard to find out information about that I mean obviously people didn't have the internet they couldn't just search you know to find out where where to get um contraception um so I think this booklet and then things like women's magazines as well would have been important at the time in circulating information about contraception um another thing in, that's I suppose distinctively Irish about this um booklet is that it's got a section about myths and misunderstandings about family planning um so, for example, one myth was that if a woman coughed or held her breath during her husband's climax, that this would present prevent con conception. Um, so things like that. Yeah. Which seemed really humorous to us. I know looking looking back, but like I think at the time there was just such a lack of information and there was so much misinformation going around um, about family planning and contraception. So I think that's why they had that section as well. Um, however, what's probably distinctly Irish about this um, is that there's no mention of, you know, things like abortion or sexual pleasure. So you get those in British or American publications um, from the same period. So, for example, in the 70s, um, I know you did an episode on the joy of sex. So, you know, that's coming out around the same time as, as this booklet um, in Britain. Um, you've also got Every Woman um, by Derek Llewellyn Jones coming out in Britain, and that was published in 1971. And it's just much more detailed. Um, you know, it covers issues such as sexuality, birth control, pregnancy. Um, and then in the US, obviously, you've got like a lot more kind of feminist publications around family planning, contraception, like Our Bodies, Ourselves. Um, you know, so 
I think really the issue here is that the IFPA were operating within a very conservative society at the time. And I think the legal context was really important because I think that really restricted, you know, what they could actually um, provide in this booklet. It's interesting that they went ahead and took the risk anyway. Do you think that they were looking to be banned, like the way the clinics were looking for a bit of publicity, you know, point out how stupid it all was? Were they hoping for a bit of trouble? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I I think probably part of them maybe was <laughs> hoping that this would generate some publicity, um, you know, and I'm sure they had some inkling that it, it might end up being banned, you know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, and before this court case, obviously, there was a case in 1973 um, where John O'Reilly, um, who he took a case against the IFPA. And O'Reilly, he'd been a founder member of the Irish Family League, who were this very conservative um, Catholic group who were primarily against legalization of contraception. So he basically drafted a letter um, to the IFPA asking for the family planning booklet um, and for information about the IUD. Um, and he also drafted a letter to Family Planning Services, who was another, which was another um, clinic in Dublin, um, asking for contraceptives. And, you know, he got his daughter to, to sign the letter. And then he did another one where he got another daughter to sign the letter. Um, and then they posted him back contraceptives. So he took this case then saying that um, FPS had been selling contraceptives to children. And then also that the, the IFPA was charged with selling um, the family planning booklet without a permit and with advertising the IUD. So there was a lot of controversy around that case in 1973. But it was effectively um, lost by O'Reilly because by the time it came to court, the McGee case had happened, um, which stated that contraception was a matter of marital privacy. Um, but at the same time, it did kind of put the thought in some members of the public, you know, in their mind that like, well, children could get access to contraceptives. So it did actually 
work on another level in kind of raising moral concerns about contraception. Um, but yeah, I think this particular case in 1976, um, the IFPA knew that, you know, it could be really good publicity for the work they were doing. Um, so for example, like they had sold uh, 20,000 copies of the booklet, I think, before this happened. Um, and it actually led to them getting four inquiries a day about the booklet and people wanting to get it, you know, and they did report then as well in 1976 that they had a 13% increase in clients coming to their clinics and a 54% in increase in people phoning to ask um, about contraception. So kind of backfired because I think the court case um, and the censorship just really, you know, it was just free publicity. It drew attention to the work they were doing and more people found out about it. So, um, yeah, so I think... I think it had a kind of positive effect as well as well so <laughs> it was extensively covered in the major daily newspapers so they got a lot of publicity out of it yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah um and you know i think it's this kind of history of illegality in the family planning movement as well that you know they kind of know that you know if they take these steps that it can actually help to change the law going forward as well so um so yeah i think I think they probably had an inkling that it might be controversial. They must have felt that at some point they would be taken to court for something in the 70s because they were pushing it, weren't they? Slowly, every time. How much can we get away with? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> what, I, what I loved about this story is that when they go to court, the censorship board lose, don't they? Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Um, so they they bring a challenge to the High Court, um, or two challenges, actually. So one of the challenges comes from the IFPA and Dr. Joan Wilson, who was one of the founding members. Um, and she believed that the board's proceedings were irregular and also unconstitutional. And then the second action was taken by Frank Crummy and his wife, Evelyn. And Frank Crummy had been a founder member of Family Planning Services. And he basically argued that um, the banning of the booklet was um, meaning that, you know, the crummies were being frustrated in their constitutional right to information about family planning. Um, so, there were, yeah, those those two challenges basically that, that came forward. Um, and then I think for the IFPA, um, you know, they really felt that there was this huge need for this booklet in Ireland. Um, and you have to look at the context again in, in the 70s in Ireland. Um, when it was just so difficult to get any concrete information um, about contraception at the time. Um, and Dr. Joan Wilson really felt that the less well off in Irish society were particularly penalised as well by this lack of information. And you know, that if there was this booklet which outlined the choices available to people, it would just allow people to consider them carefully, you know, and make, a, you know, have a fully informed choice um, in relation to contraception. Um, so really, the IFPA felt that this was having a big impact on people's access to information. Um, but also it meant that they were being kind of stalled from producing future copies um, of the booklet as well. Because, I mean, they did revise the booklet a few times in the 70s as well. So it just meant that no publisher really wanted to touch the booklet, you know, while this was all going on. Um, and then I think they felt, too, that the branding of the booklet as being indecent and obscene was a bit of a slur on on the name of the IFPA as well, because they saw themselves as quite a respectable um, organization, you know, and they were trying to put that idea forward about themselves. Um, and they really felt they hadn't been given the opportunity to defend themselves. You know, this decision was just kind of landed on them. And, 
yeah so it was it was quite a brave decision I think to actually go and take this challenge <laughs> towards the powerful censorship board at the time yeah it's always a risk because of course had they lost it would have been catastrophic really for the future of birth control information definitely but they were lucky and they did win both cases didn't they yeah yeah, yeah they did yeah but you're right I mean I think the kind of um, financial impact it would have had on them. I mean, they weren't a money-making venture, you know. I mean, if you look at their annual annual reports, they were barely kind of getting by each year. So I think if, if they had, you know, been fined or, you know, had to pay court fees, it, yeah, it would have had a really huge impact on, on the work they would have been able to do. And, and as you said, on kind of access to information going forward. Yeah, it was a, an, an amazing decision. Um, when I read it, I was laughing because they cited the East Donegal Cooperative Mart case versus the Attorney General. And you're like, God, law is really funny. The things, <laughs> the things that appear in the middle of an, what you would think is another issue entirely. But they were fortunate in that they were successful and the censorship board was told that it hadn't given them a fair hearing, which is a wonderful idea that they should have been allowed to stand up in front of the board and argue that their work was not indecent or obscene, which, of course, is not part of the censorship procedure at all. No, not at all. Because, I mean, I know, you know, with Marie Stopes, when like in this is going back to the early 20th century and like her, you know, as you know, like her books were, were banned in Ireland and you know, she kind of got into correspondence then with the censorship board and like kind of saying, oh, you know, I want the opportunity to talk about this. And they were just like, no, no, <laughs> just ignored her basically. So, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's quite interesting here that, yeah, the way that's, that's talked about. Yeah. I think it's a new spirit of accountability in the 70s that, you know, government can do things, but you do have to justify what you're doing. You don't get away with it automatically anymore. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and really, the most hilarious part is that for two years afterwards, they didn't ban a single thing while they waited for this to go through the courts. So the Irish Family Planning Association stopped the censorship for two whole years. Wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. I just love the idea that they would sit around thinking, oh, no, we can't do anything because we might end up in court to see them brought so low from their position of incredible arrogance is just great yeah so no, an unexpected positive outcome for, for that. unexpected unfortunately they were still stopping things getting through because there was other laws on the books that they could use they were using a, an 1876 law so they were able to just stop things through customs hold them for six months and then burn them so that's how they got around it it's amazing <laughs> Oh, it's just it's just a great story. You know, the idea that for once they were stopped. I love yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Family Planning Association just continued to produce this book then, didn't they? Various versions of it. Yeah, they did. Um, and, you know, they, they were very active as well in giving talks around the country, things like that. And they developed training, um, you know, for doctors in family planning as well. But yeah, the booklet did go into reprints as well and as I was saying you know later editions you know the language did shift a little bit you know it, it kind of they were a bit more maybe it kind of gave them a bit more courage to be you know less conservative I think you know that they could use words like partners rather than or you know the male partner the female partner rather than 
husband and wife and things like that. Um, and yeah, and future um, editions, they did say that they changed the artwork a little bit in future editions, but there were still the, the kind of the, the diagrams included as well. So, yeah. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely to think that that little book changed so much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when you look at it, as you said, it is a tiny little, you know, booklet, really. Um, but yeah, hugely important, I think, in, in, in all of this. So, yeah. Absolutely. And thanks to the censors banning it as indecent and obscene, that means we can play censorship bingo, which is just great. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so the first one, as usual, is breasts. Well, there are actually outlines of a female body with boobs. So I think we could tick that. Yeah. And I, I think they say something as well about breastfeeding and how, you know, that's sometimes used as a form of family planning and that it's not the most reliable. So, yeah, yeah, I think breasts is... Excellent. We can tick that one. Uh, bestiality. God, no, definitely not. <laughs> no. Uh, sex work. No, well, it's within marriage. and it's... Yeah, yeah. Racism. No, there's no... No, no. Uh, drugs also, no drugs. No drugs. Un I mean, unless you want to count the pill as a drug, but no drugs in the, the yeah, typical sense, I guess. <laughs> True. Um, politics. Well, you know what? It is a political statement. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't discuss politics in the sense of which, uh, which party to vote for, but it is politics. Yeah, I think it, it could be arguably political. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we can take that one. <laughs> swearing, no. No swearing, unfortunately, no. <laughs> they also don't give like common or garden names for anatomy. You know, they use the proper terms. Proper, yeah. <laughs> uh, infidelity. Well, no, because they are trying to talk about marriage all the time. Yeah, yeah, no infidelity either. <laughs> and there's no crime either, I think. Well, apart from the fact that the whole thing is technically criminal. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you could argue it, it is. It is illegal what they're they're advocating, but it's it's a yeah. That's a that's a tricky one. It's kind of the fine line, really. You know? It is. I think you could really take that one. Half tick for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Let's give it to them. Yeah. Uh, genitalia. Well, yes, they do actually show the anatomy. Yeah. Abortion. Well, like you said, not this one. No, I think that would have just been, yeah, a step <laughs> much too far, I think, for them. Yeah, yeah. They would have been banned straight away if they put that in. Yeah, yeah. Orgies. Well, no, it's not a sex manual. <laughs> <laughs> no, no orgies either. No, it's all very, as you said, very clean and, yeah, within marriage. Uh, the next one is sexual assault. Well, also, no. No. Extramarital pregnancy. No, it's trying not to think about that at all. No, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. Uh, masturbation. Nope. Not a sex manual. No. <laughs> and same again for sex toys. Also not a sex manual. Uh, this one is interesting. Feminism. Hmm, that's good. I, I don't think it's overtly feminist to be to be honest um like i think the ifpa did see themselves as being you know there was them and then there was like the feminist campaigners um they saw themselves as quite separate wings of the movement i think um yeah i don't know if it's overt i mean it does i suppose focus on female forms of contraception so you could maybe argue 
that that is slightly feminist, but I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's it's much more a medical approach than a feminist one. I think so, yeah. It's, it's not so much about empowerment. It's kind of more framed as, like, responsible parenthood. So, yeah, I think maybe it's, it's not super feminist, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave that one then. Um, divorce, no. No. Uh, contraception, well, yes. <laughs> At last. Um menstruation is that that must be mentioned specifically is it or is it not i oh i need to have a look i don't think it's i don't think it was you know they do talk about periods when they're talking about like natural family planning methods so i guess it is mentioned a little bit but not kind of there isn't like a specific section on on menstruation so it is in there though okay that counts and blasphemy that's another one it's a bit like the feminism i mean for some catholics this is blasphemy yeah yeah um definitely i suppose it it would be but i think they were trying to sort of appease i suppose strict catholics as well because they do you know kind of at the back of the booklet they have you know the different um family planning clinics listed but they do also list the catholic marriage advisory council so if people want advice on the kind of catholic methods they can go there so yeah so maybe I'm not sure about that one either yeah because they do mention the natural methods even if they say like there's a high failure rate they do actually explain how they work and what you would do if you wanted to use it so they are sticking to catholic teaching in that sense yeah yeah I think so yeah yeah they're trying to yeah kind of compromise with that I think yeah (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we can take that one. I think that they safely avoided being too upfront. <laughs> and the next one is oral sex. No, because it's not telling you about stuff that isn't reproduction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, graphic violence. Well, obviously not. Queer content. No, because it doesn't allow for anything except heterosexual sex. Yeah, yeah, completely. And again, I think that's probably a difference between this and, you know, maybe some of the British and American kind of publications at the time that, you know, it is, this is really just about heterosexual relationships within marriage. So, yeah. Yeah, it it is conservative enough in its own way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now let me count it up. Five only out of 25. Okay, right. <laughs> that's pretty low. I mean, that's a 1930s score. Yeah, 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 completely. So, <laughs> But I suppose if it's not a sex manual, it's really only going to cover a very limited number of bases for sexual content. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so no, it's it's quite, quite limited, really. And again, you know, just a bit surprising that it <laughs> did provoke so much drama at the time, you know. It's wonderful that it is so restrained and quite modest and yet managed to tame the censors for two whole years exactly yeah 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 definitely quite surprising really that's yeah yeah that that could happen (laughs) thanks so much laura that was wonderful i really enjoyed discussing this uh, powerful little book with you yeah thanks so much for having me Aoife. i really enjoyed it as well well that was a bit david and goliath wasn't it plucky group of outsiders take on a feared arm of the state and win I mean, for two years, the censors were so scared they didn't ban anything. But I wouldn't like you to think that that was the end of censorship entirely. 
You'll know from my episodes on The Joy of Sex and Madonna's sex book that 1976 was not the end of the whole palaver. While the board thought about what to do next, customs officers held the line in 1977, holding back dirty magazines and dodgy newspapers by the thousand. Members of the public still rang the office, looking to complain about objectionable material. For example, the English tabloid The Daily Star was so offensive that lots of people rang the censorship board. Apparently, it featured photographs of nudie ladies frolicking with teddy bears. Disgraceful stuff altogether. In 1979, the censorship board decided to risk a few bans again, but it was very cautious about anything that appeared literary. So the board was no longer invincible. As a result, I think nobody took it very seriously anymore. And it was all because the Egypti censors chose to ban the booklet under the wrong heading. Next time, I'm back into fiction again. I'll be continuing my deep dive into Edna O'Brien's Country Girl trilogy with book two, The Lonely Girl. Published in 1962, it was instantly banned because book one had been so scandalous. O'Brien herself was also infamous, refusing to accept the censor's decisions quietly. The Country Girls trilogy was incendiary in Ireland of the early 60s, and I want to find out why. Till then, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.